it is your job to protect and provide for these children. Parents are a child's first introduction to all types of authority. The Lord has charged parents to train up a child in the way he should go and help to shape appropriate behaviors and attitudes toward other people and their understanding of God and his plan of salvation. Hello, family. Back again with another episode of Parenting with Mike. Today, I am very pleased to have an educator in the house. We're going to go by the name of Miss AP for today's topic. This young lady is 12 years plus in the game of education. Elementary is her specialty. You're going to hear a very heartfelt and pointed but caring person here today. Uh, Miss AP is very glad to have you on with Parenting with Mike. How are you today? Doing great. How are you? We are wonderful. We are wonderful. So look, I don't want to take your thunder. So all those wonderful things that you were telling me about your past experiences and work-life balance, I would like to hear, and so would my listeners. You have the floor. Well, I'm not sure how much you told them about me, but I have been in education for 12 years. Elementary is my background, so I've been a classroom teacher an instructional coach and assistant principal. I am married to my husband. We've been married for 14 years and we have four children, three boys and one girl. And I love education. I think it is amazing. I've only ever wanted to be an educator, so I don't know anything else. Um, I went to the Teachers Academy at Palm Beach Lakes, then went to college and got my degree in education. Now I have a master's in ed leadership. So this is my my thing. It's my passion is educating kids. I also had the opportunity to stay home for four years. And during that time, I actually took parenting classes, which was something that I did not think that I would do. But I learned so much in those four years of being home with my children and also taking parenting classes. I wasn't didn't have to take them. I chose to. It was a program that I met someone at my church that was actually starting a program for young moms. And it was wonderful to learn about the development of children and their brains and the process, um, the stages of learning. I had heard some of those things in college, but to actually have someone walk me through it and we would actually make activities for our children to do, it was just a great experience. Also helping parents as they walk through the process of educating their children. So I'm in it for the long haul. I um, look for organizations to partner with to help bring that information to parents. I think that parents nowadays are faced with a different type of challenge. So as we kind of walk that road together, I try to support um, parents and students and, you know, just getting better. I appreciate your insight, and I am glad that you agreed to be on with us today. So you laid out a few spots there. Now, if I were to ask you what was something that you learned that you didn't expect to learn through those parenting courses, what would that be? The power of observation. Um, one of the activities she had us do was we were to take a lemon, I want to say it was a piece of fruit, but I believe it was a lemon, 
and we had to study how the lemon changed over the course of a week from one class to the next and note each day the changes that we saw in the lemon and point or the goal for that activity was for us to understand the power of observation with our own children that day by day experiences and things were happening to them and as we get so caught up in our own world and our own thing that we miss some of the things and ways that our children are changing some of their needs it kind of connects me back to an experience i had actually as an administrator as my first year as an assistant principal and we had a situation occurring with um, a teacher and a group of students and it really got quite hectic Um, when the parent came to the school to discuss the situation and I actually ended up having to address the situation um, by myself. My principal at the time was off campus. I want to say it was like after school hours and just happened to be there working. And I kind of got bombarded by, you know, this one parent that she told her friend and before you knew it, it was like three or four parents and it was, it was quite chaotic. But through the conversation, one of the parents actually started crying and saying, oh my gosh, like I wish... I knew what was happening with my child more. I wish that I was more in tune with her. And it connected me back to that lemon activity um, because we are faced, I think, as parents in this generation and as children, we are like bombarded with so much information and so much going on. And, you know, anybody who's older than, you know, I don't know, 30 something, we remember when we didn't have access to so much technology and so much information and social media and things of that sort. That's right. So I remember my grandmother telling me when I told her I was pregnant with my third child, which was actually when I decided to, to come home. She, my grandmother had 12 children, and she said to me, oh, I'm so happy for you. So wonderful children are a blessing of God. She said, but you know, you're going to have a harder time with three than I ever had with 12. I was like, grandma, like, why would you say that? Gosh, that's like, that's like no <laughs> sense. Like, okay. And her point was that 50 years ago, raising 12 children didn't involve battling social media. It didn't involve worrying about where your children were walking. She would tell me stories about how far my aunts and my mom and uncles would walk down the street and how late they would come home. They had a community. They knew their community. They didn't have some of the same cares and concerns. Oh, growing food out the backyard and we just ate it. Was it organic? I don't know. Was it healthy? I don't know. We just ate. There was a lot less stress as it relates to, I would say, societal pressures is what she was trying to do to me. Right. So we have parents that are facing so much more and children are facing so much more. One of the biggest struggles I think is we are still as young adults, as parents trying to figure out ourselves and find our way and interest us and what organizations to be a part of and you know what we wanna do with our own lives that sometimes I believe we are distracted and we don't observe what our kids actually need. We are so consumed with us making progress that we sometimes miss that opportunity to observe our children, what they need. And our kids actually need us more present. And to a certain extent in my 12 years of education, as a mom myself, I feel that parents as a whole, not pointing any fingers, are more distracted and disconnected than pressing in. And our kids actually need the opposite. I'm not saying you shouldn't go for your goals. I'm not saying you shouldn't strive to be a part of any type of organizations or doing anything. 
but my grandmother's sentiment was with three, you have more to worry about than I did with 12, which requires attention. And that story of that mom and how the that class had us observe a lemon, it was amazing how many changes happened in the lemon in a week. But I couldn't tell you what probably happened, especially at that point. I wasn't thinking about how much my child was changing from week to week to week. So they need us to be present. They need us to be aware. They need us to observe. Think they're not going to say. They're not going to say at all. We have to kind of pick it up as a generation um, of parents. We're trying to go hard. We're trying to get it done and make things happen. But we have to be more observant. So I ask you, so you use the word pressing in. We've talked about new mothers on this show before. You know, I've had a master's of social work. We've had a fifth grade teacher. Now they've talked about the pressures that parents face. Cause like you say, it's not like it used to be, you know, with grandma and the 12, you know, things are a lot different. And, you know, here on Parenting with Mike, we do talk about America's after these kids. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. these for-profit prisons, there's forces at play that obviously mm-hmm. weren't there when grandmama were raising her 12. So yeah. talk a little bit about pressing in because when you say the word press, you're pressing against something. You know, we talk about traps, Absolutely. kids falling into traps. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we had to talk about advice, because it is different, and it really makes it hard to give our children advice because things are changing so rapidly. Absolutely. Going pressing in. What would you say to a new mom bringing in a kindergartner? She could have one kid. She could have three kids. But yeah. 2023, she's showing up to you for the first time. Say she's uh, 24, 25. Where are you as an AP when you meet this mom? I think that one thing that I've learned, and I, I want to say I can't give a specific place of where I heard this. I know you know, but I am a believer. And part of that means that I'm praying and asking for guidance from God, from the Holy Spirit to kind of guide me into a direction especially when I'm in a place where I'm unfamiliar and I don't really have the words to say. I think that he gives us that divine wisdom. And you're right, we're pressing against the enemy's device to steal, kill, and destroy. So any form of that is what we're pressing up against. And it's been there before. It's just taking new forms, I think, now. One thing that I believe in and working at that particular school, which was like my favorite school, to this day, I feel like I still have not had a similar experience with just the dynamics of that school. And I met a lot of those moms that you're talking about, but I tried to meet them where they were. A lot of times when you're a professional educator, when you are doing something and you're on the other side of the table, other side of the the glass, because that's what you do. A lot of times we've maybe moved a little bit faster or further along on our journey in that area, but there may be an area in which they've moved a little bit further or past us. So I think of it as a learning opportunity. I'm not the only person here to teach. I can learn from you as well. But I also have to, I choose, I have to, but I choose to try to meet as much as possible people where they are, allowing grace for them and then asking and hoping for grace for me. Because I'm not going to always say it right. I'm not going to always get it right. One of the things that I try to do is ask that parent the things that they want for their child. Because although as an educator, I know what I have envisioned for students, I am servicing and providing a service for a parent. 
they will always be their child. They will always be connected to that child. I have them for a season. So whereas I put in my priority as an educator and I want them to get this, and we got to get these scores and this and that. If you take the time to ask the parent, what are their hopes and dreams for their child? Most of them are going to communicate that they want them to be successful academically. So boom, we've already connected on the fact that I and you have a common goal. We want your child to be successful academically. Then you begin to build relationship with that person because it's much easier to take advice from someone who you feel like is actually invested. I have many situations where <laughs> it's funny because I would, I have as an AP, you have to deal with a lot of the the parents that are upset. They going off, they huffing and puffing. And right, right, right. They use the word ratchet, but go ahead. I'll take that. Yeah. But I would take them back, allow them an opportunity to speak. I remember that they are the parent. So I'm putting myself in that position because I'm a parent first. Like I love being an educator. I've always wanted to be an educator. But at this point in time, I'm a mama, right? So in that particular case, they're communicating based on their desire to protect protect and provide for their children. So once I get that as a common understanding, I'm going to meet you where you are. You're upset right now. I'm going to let you talk. By the end of it, let's work on a resolution. Let's work on a solution to the issue. You begin to build trust with that person. They begin to want to seek you out to be the person to have a conversation with. They would say, man, you bring those people back there huffing, puffing, cussing. When you walk out, they're laughing. How do you do that? You meet a person where they are. It's not about returning railing for railing and we got to go back and forth and toe to toe. You can do that. You can do anything you want to do. But my bottom line is your child's success. So us going back and forth, doesn't show the child even that we're on the same page. And we've lost some of that through the loss of community where you had the same teachers for 20-something years in the same school, and they had the big brother and the big sister. They might have even had the mama. That's right. We lost some of that. So we have to rebuild it. Each year when you're walking into a new school as a new administrator or a new teacher, you got to rebuild that trust, rebuild that sense of community. So I say to that parent, hello, how are you? And, and how can I help you? How can I serve you as the administrator at this school? What is your hope for your child? I got the same vision. So that means we're going to be working together this year. And as time and opportunities present themselves, rather than on my schedule and when I want to do it, but in that divine time, I could say, okay, now we having this conversation. All right, mama, listen, I, I want to make a suggestion, but I want you to hear my heart. Okay, on this, because, you know, I love you and love your baby, but I've, I've noticed some things. And if you'll allow me, I'm going to just try to give you just a little piece because it's about growth, like in, in stages and increments. It ain't about a, a 180 overnight. So a lot of times I think the press is I want you to stop being ratchet and stop cussing somebody out. No, 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 no. Mm -mm. All right, mama, that's what I need. Next time you come in here, just ask for me. You, you don't got to do all that cussing and stuff. But I know you're going to be coming up upset. But just ask, and we just get there bit by bit by bit. Um, when I do have those conversations, hopefully I can address some of the tech time. How much time are you allowing them to spend? Does their schedule look like? I had a mom, this little boy, he actually reminds me of my son, my youngest, who was actually like, he's been like a little bit more of my, my tough kid, my challenging child, smart, sweet, but just has his own kind of personality and way of doing things. So the student I have. What age? What age I are you said, talking? I'm talking first grade. It's about seven. Okay, fair enough. Go ahead. Yep. 
Yep. And so he was having trouble with um, the teacher and supposedly the young man is on medicine, but whether or not he takes it day to day, I'm not sure. So the teacher came to me complaining and I said, well, one strategy I gave the teacher was there's a system within the school that when a child was misbehaving to the point that it was disrupting the class so much, they would use a specific code to let the uh, front office know that that child needed a break to be removed from the class. Right. Well, the boy would have like all these tempers and tantrums and just kind of fall out. And I'm like, well, how about we do this? Why don't we flip flop and have us push in when he needs a break? Because right now he are, he's feeling ostracized. He's feeling like he's out of the loop, like he doesn't belong. So, I mean, clearly he needs some one-on-one attention, some type of support. So let me know. You ain't got to call the office. Just text my phone. I will come in, I'll sit next to him, and you get a break, but it's an in-house break. Like, he's he's there. He don't got to leave. Change the dynamics. Easy fix. But I, I wanted to meet with his family because I noticed some of those similar behaviors, and I was curious about what happens with him in the evening. Who does he play with? Who does he hang out with? The socialization of children is something also that has taken a hit. A lot of us, we play sports either on a team or we played outside. That's right. What's happening now? A lot of kids don't play on any type of team. And I'll raise my hand because I don't believe I believe in transparency. Guilty is charged. My first son played on all types of teams. My last child is begging me to play on a team. That's what we're gonna do this year. But you gotta observe what your kids need. But here's the flip. My children have four or three siblings, you know, each of them to play with. So either you play on a team, which is something that you can do, or you're presenting opportunities for them to play and engage with other students outside of the four walls of the house. They got to go outside. They have to learn how to play and play together and win and lose appropriately. And all those things that happen when you interact with your peers. So, you know, my kids actually get to go outside. They play with each other. Like y'all each other play games. Let's go play. (laughs) But every child doesn't have that opportunity. Come to find out the young man only has a baby sister. He's in the house with his mom, his grandmother, grandfather, uncle, all adults, and baby sister. Nobody his age. Now, somebody might say, well, there's plenty of kids that are the only child. Got it. So, but what has been done to facilitate an opportunity for this child to practice socializing with his peers? Because guess what happens when he gets to school? He's having challenges. So what what do they say? Well, when he goes home, he just plays video games. It's kind of like no kind of structure or schedule. He just does whatever he wants from when the time he gets home till it's time for bed. I said, well, he has a lot of challenges with transition. It's cool. When it's time to go from one thing to another, if he don't want to stop it, it becomes a problem. If I may, remember, we got to build that trust. If I may, offer a suggestion. I use my own situation with my own child. Because people aren't for these experts going in here and just, you know, chopping it up because I'm the expert. No, give me some transparency. Let me know that you've experienced it. Let's make it relatable. Let's build a community. I said, well, my son had a same, similar situation. Very, you know, headstrong, don't like to transition. So we had to build in some transitions at home. We're going to do this for an hour. Then we're going to move on to that. There's a start and a stop to everything. And if we're not teaching them that, it just goes on forever. They play video games for eight hours. Now blink an eye. So using some of my own personal experiences, my successes, my challenges, even current challenges, but building 
a relationship and actually trying to meet people where they are. You got a problem with the fact that they're coming and cussing. Got it. But there's all these other things. So what's the most important thing that you want to work with and support them in? Because I can do, I mean, personally, I can deal with that part. Even right, they focus right. on the child. But how do I get there? I can't be attacking you thinking you're going to listen to me when I want to give you advice that's really off the record. We got to build a relationship. And working at schools like that allowed me to build relationship and community in a way that was near and dear to my heart as an educator, where you got a football game, I'm coming to see it. I know you living in a homeless shelter or a hotel. You Right now, I'm going to go bring you some food. Things like that. It ain't it ain't for nobody else. It's because we have a relationship. Because most people would be like, no, nah, I don't want them in my business. But you build that. You start from the beginning, focusing on what is the hope and the dream of that parent for their child, and then let it go from there. Meet them where they are. Don't try to press them to be who you think you want them to be in that moment. Because you're going to see growth if you allow that opportunity. But if you're more pressed and focused on your own agenda, you end up kind of pushing people away. And then nothing gets accomplished. Well, now, Miss Miss AP, and you all here, she has a heart for kids. She has a heart for parents. But if I told you these schools are filled to capacity, these APs and teachers are overwhelmed, and they don't have the time to help everybody because they should know how to take care of their own kids and who lets their kid walk barefoot 10 o'clock at night. Don't nobody know you're supposed to put a kid in bed. You don't know you ain't supposed to come to the school with all your chest out. And, like, why don't you know that? That's common sense. Why don't you know that? You should know that. No, Nobody lets a kid, you know. <laughs> That's common sense. Up. It's like it's, it's, it's amazing how much stuff we know that we don't do. Like, I, again, when you position yourself in that place of they should know, they should this, they should that, I don't allow myself to meet that person where they are. And I almost borderline get into the place of where I'm supposed to fix it all. Like, in this moment, I'm, at, I'm thinking about trying to rework pretty much everything they've experienced. The mama that comes into the office with the clothes like that. You can't even touch that conversation until you've, you can try, but what will you be met with if you have no form of relate? That's like somebody coming in and a parent coming in, going off on a teacher with no type of relationship, it ain't received. And you know, like I know, there's some not so good teachers out there. It's just period. That's right. I know that the kids and the parents don't change for us. So the charge for an administrator and a teacher is heavy like an emergency doctor, it's heavy. There's some jobs that are heavy. And I believe that education has been treated as a profession that's a fallback for a lot of people. So the people that get into it don't necessarily always have the heart for it. Now, on the other side, do I know that there's a lot of work to be done and they're asking a lot of us? Yeah, I do. And that's why people are deciding to either leave the profession or they don't want to get into it to begin with. But it, it's, it is the work that I'm passionate about, but I know that it requires more of me than it does of me trying to point the fingers. So, yep, you're going to get, if you choose to work in that environment, if you choose to work in a school where you're dealing with families that are experiencing trauma, um, there's something my aunt taught me. She um, is um, a 
doctorate of sociology and uh, I'm sorry, social work, social work and works with and taught me about the adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. It's about 10 different situations that a child could experience that greatly impacts their overall health. Like the statistics show if you've had this many adverse childhood experiences that you have more likely of health conditions and what your education will be, all these other things. When you work in a school, so that's where they, they, I don't know if you've heard of the lingo of trauma-informed schools, where you're working with schools that have staff that understands these adverse childhood experiences and how they impact. Because if the child is experiencing it, more than likely that their parent experienced it. So we all know, I mean, having a child, having a car, having a home, having a job, having a having body, doesn't mean you always know how to manage that thing that you have. So there's plenty of people who have a body, but don't take care of it. There's plenty of people who have a job, but don't do well. There's plenty of people who have a home and don't manage it. Car, I have messed up an engine or two myself. Just because you have it don't mean you can manage it. So that's where education, the power of education, but it's got to be somebody that they're willing to hear from. And it does take definitely a certain skill set. It is. Education is not a fallback career. A lot of people treat it that way. It is a skilled profession that requires training and development. And because our kids' needs are changing and our families' needs are changing, so should our professional development. I'm not saying that means let a child do whatever they want to do, let a mama say whatever they want to say. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying there's no boundaries. I'm saying that it requires a process that does put um, more work on the educator, the teacher, um, the administrators. And when you're already tapped out, you know, I believe that some people do need to take a break from education. Personally, even as a person who wanted to be an educator, that break that I took staying home was good for me. It was healthy for me because I only want to work in certain schools and certain communities, and that can wear you out. That's right. So I believe that sometimes for your own sanity for your own peace for your own health it is okay to step away from something even if you love it if it's if it's wearing you down because i i refuse to work on any other type of community but my community and the work that it takes to be all in it does require a lot but yeah i mean the kids walking down the street with no shoes on like how do you think that that mother was mothered something happened they just wake up one morning to say, I ain't gonna care about my kids and take care of them at all. There's I, I believe there's a reason for it. And in the way that I may not be parenting as well as I want a parent, I hope I got some grace too. So I don't look at it so much as like, you know, tomorrow she gotta come in with a three piece suit on and, you know, dress right, the right, butt right. down. But okay, what is it this time? Is she going off and popping off? Okay, how do I explain her? Now there's gonna be some. You can't reach. We know that happens. There's some of them that they're not going to want to follow the rules. They're not going to want to come along for the process. And you let them make their decision that this may not be the place for you. Um, But for the most part, in education, we're charged with taking whomever comes and doing the work. And not necessarily picking and choosing. I've been in charter and I've been at public. You also have a private sector of education where they can be more selective. But in most of our schools, whoever comes, we receive them. Well, 
I appreciate you, Miss AP. Um, you got my mind spinning. You know, like you mentioned, the mental health piece. There is a, a new initiative where they're wanting the, you know, educators become. I believe it's called Mental Health First Aid. Where they're mm -hmm, youth mental health first aid. Mm -hmm. Mental health first aid because the issues are coming, and they're coming from everywhere, and they're hitting yeah. the schools. Now you got some schools they put police officers in. Some schools have social workers on campus. I did want to ask you, do you think, well, bad question. What are your no thoughts about, thing. no such thing. See, she's nice. No, I'm telling you, she, she'll tell a parent they trash and the parent will be smiling and giggling, leaving the office. <laughs> do you think the school should do more, or could do more as far as the parents being allowed on campus? I mean, I know a lot of things have changed. You know, when I, my day, my mom wanted to show up. She could just show up and come straight to my classroom. Now they say they want parent involvement, but from the conversations I'm having, there's so much going on. They don't seem to want. They don't seem to want the parents on campus. They say they do, but I don't think it's, they do. It's like this. I would. I would venture to say, if you already know, it's about your house, right? And you know there's a certain area of your house that you just, I'm not cleaning that area. Like, I'm not going to touch the garage right now, whatever. I'm not going to touch this bedroom, whatever, this section. But when they come in the house, they're going to see that section. Mm -hmm. You'd probably be more reluctant to just doors open. So here's the reality. I mean, in every school I worked at now, when I stepped into administration, I had the opportunity of seeing more classrooms because I wasn't in my class. In my class, I was in my own world. So as an individual teacher, you're thinking about what you do in your class. You probably say, yep, come on in. I open the door. Parent want to come in because I know what I'm doing, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. That particular teacher may actually have the management, the instruction, everything going on that if you were to let a parent in, which we are in a film-happy society, right, that you yeah. would be okay with someone videotaping what happens in that classroom, situation one, because they go live, it's already out there. Situation two, teacher classroom two, she says, come on in. Come on in. See how bad these kids are. And the teacher can't teach, and it's not engaging. The classroom look crazy, but she wants you to come in. So you open up yourself to being that, the representation of your school. And then you got the one who says, don't come in, because they know what's going on. So when you invite a parent in, you invite them to see it all. And most administrators, and I speak for myself as well, don't have the ability to snap their finger and change the situation. Just like you got to give that parent grace to grow or got to. I keep saying got to. You, you should and you could. You could. It's the same way I afford the ability for a teacher to grow. My first year teaching, I would venture to say I was terrible. I think I was terrible. I mean, it was a hard year. First-year teachers have so much they're trying to do. And I actually had a background in education, but it was just overwhelming. And that was 12, 16 years ago. Right, right. Nowadays, things are different. You've got more high stress. We didn't have – we had school resource officers, but they weren't, like, as present. So you have that, you know, in the back of your mind of what is some of – the new experiences for people nowadays with school safety and things of that sort. So walking into the door and trying to absorb and 
handle what it is as a first year teacher, a beginning teacher, I got to give you grace because you're going through an experience I didn't even go through. It's different for you than it was for me. The kids are different. COVID's happened. There's more bigger gaps academically. All of that, right? Tests are changing. Standards are changing. So then I open the door for a parent to walk into that. That's teachers still trying to get their bearings. And even if you're a second or a third year teacher, the sentiment is usually the same, whether they have a class that has behavior that's hard for them to manage or academically, they're still trying to find their bearings as a professional educator. When you open the door, you open yourself up. So I would love to say that I think it is great. Yep, have the doors open at all times, but you're going to get a mixed bag with that. And I think that what might be a more effective strategy as schools try to build themselves into becoming what they hope and want to be for the students in the community they serve is that you're very structured when you invite them in, not just to come into a classroom and complain and, and videotape, but actually have school advisory council meetings, those SAC meetings, have parent involvement, connect those parent involvement sessions to an actual student performance. Cause a lot of times if a parent's busy and works two jobs or works one job and gets off at five o'clock, Rushing back to the school is not their ideal situation. What can you do to make it be something that would actually engage the parents? Um, my children, when they were in school back when, in our, um, when we were living down south, they had all pro dads, which is a national program that they do. Certain schools do it where it's not just a bring your dad, bring your child to work there, dads take their child to school. They, it's a monthly thing they do in the morning. And it's dads, but it could be moms too. Right. And the name of the program is All Pro Dads. But you come in, you do activities, you do games, they give you breakfast. It's a little 30-minute session in the morning as opposed to in the evening when you're tired, right? And you already worked all day. And now you got parents on campus. And you can bring up those topics that you're having. Listen, we need some parent volunteers. But this is the stipulation of being a volunteer. We don't need this, this, and this. We do need this, this, and this. Now you open up an opportunity, even if a parent just wants to be a greeter in the morning, that's still getting parent involvement. So you structure yourself to get parents on campus, to have those conversations, hear their thoughts. What do they wish? What are they having an issue with? And how can you go about solving it? But just open and open those classroom doors. No, I can see no, that. I can see that. You might be on TV. You might be on TV. Now, I got a quick story. So I'm going back. My story is a little old. You have to forgive me. But... um. I think some kids were, va- well, nah, shit, they might have been smoking. I'm going back pre-vape. Well, they, somebody was smoking in the bathrooms. Mm-hmm. And the AP, they made like a box and put like tin foil on it. It was real crafty. Like it wasn't nothing metal. It didn't look real. It was just a box. They put it up in the corner of the bathroom. Now, all they were trying to do was kind of deter whoever was smoking to make them think it was a, a camera, man, one of the kids, one of the little girls went home and complained and said that they felt, mm-hmm. I don't want to use violated. the word violated, but I guess that's the word they their privacy, Their privacy was being infringed upon. So, okay, the parents came. Man, do you know, it was kind of funny, but looking back at it, it probably wasn't funny. The AP and the principal pulled the box down in the room, and they wanted to show the parents what it was. Next thing I know, the one mama had a camera out, was trying to record the box, and the Mm -hmm. AP, they was playing monkey in the middle, 
She stepped to the right. He stepped. Now they trying to block this lady from recording the box. <laughs> and and I will say that that was a little unfair by the parent. Like, here it is. You brought an issue. And on good faith, then people was trying to talk to you straight. But people don't be on the up and, and up about what they yeah. want. Right, right. And that's the thing. The thing about it is, so you have these processes in schools where you're trying to prevent children from doing certain behaviors. And the other side of that is parents complaining. It's okay to acknowledge that sometimes your action may not have reaped the result that you want. I think that sometimes, especially in administration, we are expected to get it right all the time. And acknowledging, okay, the other side of that is a person could think that that was an actual device that is recording. Clearly, we know it wasn't. And then what comes the result of that? All right. So in that conversation, now the parent wants to record this thing and she is, it's, it's going south quick. In that moment, acknowledgement of the fact that my attempt, let me tell you what I was attempting to do, deter the behavior. Mm -hmm. Because vaping on campus, smoking on campus is unacceptable. It's not tolerated and it's unacceptable. However, we have students that are engaging in that behavior. And this was an attempt to help students understand that we are being mindful of what is happening on campus. Now, we don't want to see children. We don't want to, we don't want to violate their privacy at the same time we want to uphold school safety. So we have to find a different way because in this particular case, the parent sounds like she was more concerned about what y'all, that the response was than the child's behavior, mm -hmm. which I'm not saying that this child was a part of the behavior at a similar incident. Parent went fire hot, everybody that she could call because child was involved with vaping on campus. More concerned with how we responded than the behavior itself. Mm -hmm. We ain't talking That's about no smoking. No, no, no we're not talking about that. That is a part of some of the concern that happens on the school side, where when you're having those conversations. Now, I didn't have a conversation with this particular parent, but there are definitely some parents that will vouch for their child no matter what. Wrong, they're going to vouch for them, mm -hmm. not holding them accountable. But we all have to be accountable. So in that particular situation, I got to be accountable for doing something that I thought would have worked, but ended up having not the result that I wanted. I don't know how things go south. I can see it. I've, I've been in it. I had a parent two days, well, last day at school going off on me by the consequences a child got from, for uh, a misbehavior. Everybody witnessed it. Everybody saw it. She was so frustrated. I'm okay with you being frustrated. But I also want you to know that there's other people that I'm actually responding to. So the teacher said the child, you know, that they felt like based on the behavior, the child shouldn't be able to participate in some end of year activities. They warned the kids, don't do it. You won't be able to participate. So now I'm responsible for upholding their expectations. Sometimes it's okay for you to not like the results. And sometimes it's okay for me to take accountability when it doesn't go the way that I want. I think that you're going to always have those parents, those situations, those teachers, even those administrators that just don't quite get it. I'm a praying person. I pray for them and I keep it moving. I don't, I don't worry too much about trying to, to 
to fix or change every situation. Right. But there's some things that we don't always think. Do we think of it as a temporary solution and don't really think about it on the other side? This past two years of my last school I was at, I had an opportunity to work on a principal that really had me thinking about the other side of a scenario. And it helped because I'm that person that probably would have done the box. Like, immediate, like I would have done that, thinking gotcha. it was immediate solution, not thinking through the other side of it. There is an other side that we are, as school leaders, accountable for thinking through. And when we don't, sometimes we get the other side of it. So there's no immediate easy fix. Most schools are having issues with some type of recording on campus, some type of vaping, smoking, right. some type of misbehavior. It's just it's what's happening in a lot of schools. Because the kids are bringing the and, phones, they're recording the teachers. Oh, their my gosh. Oh my goodness! Kids in the bathroom, like oh my goodness, it's it's so much going on. It's it's a it's a battle in of itself, just a battle of the technology. And I'm in elementary. I can't imagine what middle high school teachers are dealing with. I don't even want to know. You stay with (laughs) y'all. I stay my I stay my old lane. Well, look, I'll tell you this: you would make a great mediator, and I wish more schools had. I'm I'm gonna say level headed. I take a shot, you know, people or whatever, you know, because the parents need to come to the PTA meetings, and you all heard her, PTA, PTO, administrators, school advisory councils. Schools are required to have monthly school advisory council meetings. Those are where a lot of the choices and decisions are made for the school. So join your SAC. And if you join your SAC and the SAC meeting times are not what you need to be, ask for SAC meetings to be changed. That's Maybe right. they need to be in the morning. Maybe they need to be on Zoom. Maybe they need to be in the afternoon. Maybe they need to be attached to some type of event at school so you're not making a double trip. But school advisory council or SAC meetings, schools are required to have those monthly. So ask join your school them. about a SAC hey, meeting. Because we talked about yep. it one of these other meetings. You mess around and don't show up to the... To the teacher open house, teachers think you don't care. They're going to treat your kid like you mm-hmm. don't care. But now yeah. that's yeah. on the parent side. Join SAC, join PTA. Yeah. On mm-hmm. the administrator side, we can what? Muffins with moms, donuts with dads. Yeah. Yeah. All pro dads. Think about what your school, think about the diversity of your own school and what works. Talk to your parents. Um, I had worked for a principal that was really, really big on finding your core circle, he would have um, coffee uh, and conversations. And that's actually how I met that principal and started working at this school. I was a parent at the time and I joined the coffee and conversations and it was maybe just 10 core parents, but those 10 parents would meet with the principal and say it all. And it became a trusted group of parents who were invested in their child's education and the education of all. And get a diverse group on that committee. It doesn't have to be just the professional ones. Get some of the ones that you would consider to be a little bit more rowdy. Because you want them to be on your team when it's time for them to be rowdy for what is important. But you got to be willing to talk to them and work through whatever differences you have. Differences and conflicts don't have to be avoided. They can actually be worked through. It can can be. I'm not saying it's going to be all the time. But, you know, that's that's kind of my goal, not just to make it this everybody gets along, everybody agrees. But I think there might be a common goal in educating our children. And if it can work and we can do it together, we can partner together. But we all have to play our part. We do. We all have to play our part. And let the church say amen. Amen. (laughs) 
Amen. Well, Ms. AP, thank you very much for your time. I've enjoyed it, and so will my listeners, my parents, and my administrators. Thank you, ma'am, and we'll have to have you on again soon. Thank you, thank you. Thank you.